This is Decoding Security, a podcast from Microsoft Australia about how to protect your business from the ever-changing threat of cybercrime. On the show, you'll hear from leaders in cybersecurity as well as Microsoft experts as we break down strategies to help keep your business secure. I'm your host, Mark Anderson, and I'm the Chief Security Officer here at Microsoft Australia. In today's episode, we're joined by Jennifer Stockwell, the National Cybersecurity Principal at Telstra. My colleague, Farah Chemsadeen, Cybersecurity Architect at Microsoft ANZ, will explore all things risk assessment with Jennifer. You'll hear why risk assessments are important, some practical approaches to evaluating cyber risks, and we'll go through a few recommendations to help define the cybersecurity risk appetite in your organization. Now, it's over to Farah to start the conversation. Jen, thank you for your time today. I'm looking forward to talk about and share your insights on cyber risk with our audience. Thanks, Farah, for the opportunity to be here. I'm really looking forward to the discussion. Can we please start by learning more about your experience and current role at Telstra? Absolutely. So I lead the national security and cyber policy practice at Telstra within our cyber security team. My background is in leading intelligence and security operations in the UK, Europe, Middle East and Australia with government. My current portfolio includes cyber policy, strategic intelligence, critical infrastructure security and regulation, government partnerships and how Telstra meets our government security obligations. And I'm also a co-creator and sponsor of Telstra's Cleaner Pipes initiative. So our topic today is cyber risk analysis and assessments. But before we go into the details on this phase of risk management, I would like to know more from your experience being a member of a number of advisory boards and committees and working closely with government and senior stakeholders. Why do you think it is important for organizations in the first place to adopt a risk management approach for cybersecurity? A risk-based approach is really your best chance of having a successful security program because it really enables you to show how the work that your cyber team is doing is reducing the most significant risks to your business because you align that cyber risk management with your organizational objectives and you can also evolve with the threat landscape. Once you've kind of understood your organization's risk appetite and you've got a consistent framework for assessing risk, That will help you to prioritize investment in security, will give you confidence that you're protecting what's most important to your organization. And it empowers your teams to make decisions that are aligned with organizational objectives. So it gives them that clarity to go ahead and operate. If you're looking at a purely maturity level or compliance-based model, you may end up with unnecessary risk exposures because you're prioritizing controls or a particular level that may not be relevant to your specific threat environment or your risk appetite. Totally agree. It's the way organizations can tailor their approach of cybersecurity and make it more familiar and consistent as well as relevant to their business units and strategies. We have covered also in the previous webinar the key elements for cybersecurity risk identification. Now, as a leader of Tasra's national cybersecurity team, covering cyber policy, strategic intelligence, critical infrastructure regulations, and other cyber initiative. What is your recommended approach for cybersecurity teams to analyze these identified cybersecurity risks? First of all, it's really important to know your assets and categorize them based on criticality. So at Telstra, we use criteria that are based on potential impact to the business operations, to our customers, to the public, and very relevant to my area, to Australia's national security. 
you also need a really good understanding of your threat environment and whether your controls are adequate to mitigate the risk. And you need to be clear on the risk appetite of your organization, which is really a conversation you need to be having with your board. And that can change over time. And it depends on the circumstances. Once you have all that, you'll be well placed to conduct your risk assessment and you will rank or score the residual risks based on likelihood and consequence or impact. And that will enable you to prioritize your investment in risk treatments. Can you give us a real life example of when this approach helped you in managing cybersecurity risks or prioritizing resources? I'll give you an example that's likely familiar to many large organizations that operate globally. That moment in March 2020, when within days or sometimes hours, both our Australian operations and many of our offshore partners who help with our global operations had to very quickly transition to remote working arrangements. In terms of a kind of low risk that didn't require many compensating controls, in Australia at Telstra, we'd had our all roles flex approach in place for many years, since about 2013. So that meant our remote working arrangements were quite robust. Our security was in place, our secure remote access, our monitoring. In terms of compensating controls, all we really needed was making sure that we had the capacity for everyone to be working from home all at once, which networking and engineering teams did an amazing job there. A bit of extra support for staff, some security awareness reminders targeting to existing risks and risk of working from home. And we're all set, really. So maybe a few people needed a new desk or a new monitor, but we were pretty much all set to go. And it could happen relatively painlessly without introducing much incremental security risk. It was quite a different challenge when it came to those partners of ours that support, for example, our service management for enterprise customers, where some of those organizations had never done remote working arrangements with us before. So we had to take a new approach, but leveraging our existing robust risk assessment practices. So we prioritized those partners for risk assessment in order of the criticality of the services or data they were managing. And then we used risk assessment processes covering confidentiality, integrity, availability, but also looking at issues like resilience, any regulatory risk and any reputational risk. So there we did need to introduce increased compensating controls like enhanced security monitoring and logging, guidance, testing and reviews, and being sure that we had checkpoint plans to go back and check that everything was working and that we had sort of a review point so we could check the control effectiveness. So we were able to draw on our existing expertise to make all these assessments, but we had to bring that together very quickly with virtual risk assessment teams. That's a great summary of risk in general, starting by identifying it, analyzing it, starting with your most critical risks, to your point, your most impactful partners and moving to treating the risks, having the right controls. But it doesn't stop there, to your point. There is continuous assurance and testing and then additional initiatives and planning, as well as risk treatments that need to be put in place. So this is perfect. Now, we talked about how important it is to analyze cyber risks and evaluate risk levels, because this is the most important step. Evaluating risks informs us of where do we need to prioritize and make further decisions. But many organizations find it challenging to effectively and objectively evaluate the level of cybersecurity risks. It sometimes depends on the person's or the team's previous experience or knowledge and capability managing cyber risks. Do you have any practical advice to evaluate cybersecurity risks effectively? I do. 
something I would like to put forward here is really try and start identifying, assessing and addressing risk as early as you can in a project. You need to wait until you have the right information, but try and get in there early so that it's on everyone's minds and all the contributions are there in place. When you're evaluating risk, you need to think about the traditional risks of confidentiality, integrity and availability. But as I've also mentioned, we do really look at resilience as well, any regulatory risks and reputational risks. Now, to dive in a bit more, you want your risk assessment to generate a list of risks that are rated and prioritised. To get those ratings, you need to assess both the likelihood and the consequence or impact. So for likelihood, you need to be considering what else is happening in your sector? What else is happening in similar sized organisations? What other threats have eventuated there? We have an open source intelligence team that's constantly scanning that landscape for us and informing us of what's happening to organisations and what threat actors are targeting our organisation and other organisations that are similar. What skills or tools might a threat actor need to successfully attack an organisation? And how capable do we think the threat actors are that are targeting us? So currently we might say that ransomware is a high likelihood because it's very prevalent at the moment. There is the availability of ransomware as a service. So it's a low barrier to entry for cyber criminals because they don't need much of their own capability. So that might be, yes, quite high likelihood. So then to look at impact, we might consider things like ransomware scenario. What impacts might that have to our business objective? So it could be reputational damage, financial loss. What could be the size of the impact? How much data? How many customers? And when you look at some of what's happening with ransomware at the moment, where you've got the kind of double extortion model, where it might take a system offline and then create essentially a data breach, a low impact example would be a system goes offline, but it's non-critical or information that's already in the public domain. It's not high impact. High impact might be a critical system goes offline and sensitive customer information is released or network information, anything that enables access like password data, for example. You mentioned a great point, aligning the impacts of cyber risks with a business, basically, strategy and objectives, things like reputation damage or losing customers or business partners, maybe. And to perform this analysis, do you prefer following a quantitative or qualitative methodology to evaluate cybersecurity risks? I think there's actually a place for both. So quantitative is excellent for granular prioritization and ranking of risk. So this is when you're doing your scoring and then you can attach budget to that in a much more granular way. Qualitative, we find that more useful for communicating with the wider business and, for example, with the board. It's much easier to relate to those critical, high, medium type language than a set of figures. But I think it is important that with both qualitative and quantitative, you need to have a shared understanding with your audience of what those ratings mean. Yeah, we've seen that before, a lot of dashboards and reporting around risk levels, but without the right information around it, which actually doesn't deliver the message that we are trying to deliver. And I like the approach that organizations do not need to pick one methodology over the other, but more of tailor their approach based on the audience they're communicating with. We covered the topic of risk appetite a few times today. Let's talk about that in more details. Defining and communicating the risk appetite and risk tolerance levels set the boundaries of how much risk an organization is prepared to take on. These objectives are crucial to establish an effective cybersecurity risk management process as they reflect the organization's strategy, priorities, and direction. In your experience, what should organizations consider when defining their cybersecurity risk appetite and tolerance levels? 
as we've talked about a little bit, you really need to be mapping your cyber risks into the different elements of your risk management framework because that captures the full range of risks to the business and its strategic objectives. So that might be financial or operational, reputational. You can't be considering your cyber risks in isolation of that because what you want to then do is to be reporting on how your cyber controls and the efforts you're making are contributing to reducing those enterprise risks. Now, your risk appetite might change as a result of external factors. So it could be economic factors, brand, reputation, geopolitical developments. So I think, as we've mentioned, you need to regularly check in. The risk appetite is still where you wanted it. So for Telstra, factors that might help us define our risk appetite and might consider are things like network evolution, the rollout of 5G and edge compute, the increase in connected devices that comes from that. And then looking at the threat landscape, it's fast evolving. We've got a prevalence of ransomware and escalating cyber criminal and nation state activity. Whereas if you're, say, a financial organization, it might be a different set of factors that are driving your risk appetite, things like regulation or new payment technologies. I think the important thing to remember is it's not static and you need to keep reevaluating. So do you have any preferred frameworks for cybersecurity risk management or risk management in general that you would recommend to the audience? There are lots of good frameworks out there. A key point is you do not need to go and make up your own. At Telstra for cyber risk, we are using NIST as our overall risk framework. And we use the ASD 37 mitigation strategies, including the Essential 8, to help meet our desired risk appetite. And our enterprise risk management is also aligned with industry standards, including for things like physical security. An extra tip that I'd like to add is that it's really important in the current environment to apply a national security and geopolitical lens. So be looking outwards. Increasingly, you'll need to understand the Australian and global regulatory environment as it relates to security, as well as your traditional cyber and physical threat environment. Built a team in Telstra that evaluates all of the above for just that reason. Well, this brings me to my next question. We talked about the different elements, considerations and activities as part of risk assessment. Well, this is extremely important, as we discussed today. This is a lot of work and information, and organizations have to remain aware of their critical systems, important information. They have to keep up with the always changing threat landscape and also be well informed and equipped to make the right decision and meet their objectives. A key learning today is that nothing is static. Everything is always changing from the way organizations do their business, deliver their services to compliance and regulatory requirements. I'm interested to learn from your previous experience as the Director of Cybercrime Intelligence in the ACSC with deep understanding of attackers' destructive capabilities and sophisticated techniques. How organizations can remain across the continuously changing risk posture and what are your recommendations to always analyze and identify risks? For the first part of your question, always be learning and building your networks, not just your own industry and not just your own sector, but across as many different sectors and types of organization as you can, because that's how you understand the threat landscape and kind of take the pulse of the threat landscape as early as possible. So you stay across this from a more strategic perspective. It's really important to be listening to a variety of voices in terms of what threats they're experiencing. In terms of how a risk assessment is a point in time and the threat landscape is evolving and vulnerabilities are constantly emerging, which can make some controls ineffective. There's a couple of things I think can help. One is optimizing your processes as much as possible. 
And the other is having a strong security culture in your organization. As much as you can, try to embed security in your business processes. And if you can build in security by design, then even better. That's a real great level of maturity. It means you're reducing the residual risks you're going to need to treat. But to accompany that, you also need a culture where security is everyone's responsibility, where business owners are prepared to be accountable. And you need to have security advocates throughout the business who will pick up on risks that processes can't. So I can't count the number of times that I'll get a phone call from someone in a networks or engineering team who say, hey, I've identified this issue. I think it might be a bit of a risk. I'm not really sure, but I thought I should give you a call. Can you talk me through it? Can you talk me through the different factors? And can we work out what the risk is here? That's what comes from a strong security culture. And it picks up on things that automated processes might not. That said, automation optimization really helps you to scale because you seriously can't have enough people to keep up with the pace of the threat landscape. And you don't need to build all of that yourself because there are excellent detections and controls built into technology you're probably already using. Things like Microsoft 365 and Azure Security Center. There's always plenty out there to help you to optimize those processes and pick up on new risks. You do need to set a cadence for reviewing and testing and calibrating your controls and reevaluating your risk appetite to make sure that it's still relevant to your organizational goals and the threat landscape. Exactly. As you said, security is everyone's responsibility and needs to be integrated within key functions instead of considered as an add-on towards the end of projects and initiatives. Also, products and solutions can provide us with visibility over our critical assets, alert us on security threats, and also provide insights on best practices and recommendations for strengthening our security posture. This is how people, process, and technology can work together to help organizations make informed decisions and minimize security risks while protecting what is important. Jen, you were recently recognized as Australia's most outstanding woman in IT security for your many achievements, including leading the development and implementation of Telstra's Cleaner Pipes initiative. Can you tell us more about this initiative and how the different concepts discussed today on cyber risks were considered? Absolutely. So Cleaner Pipes essentially is about how we build in security at the network level. We're doing that across DNS and across SMS and across our voice telephony. It's all about reducing the risk that reaches our customer. So we want to take as much of that risk away. We want to work out what we can do automatically to remove that by blocking threats before they eventuate. That's great to hear. And I'm sure our audience and people joining us today in this webinar loved hearing that as well. Jen, it was great to discuss the topic of cyber risk management with you and learn from your experience. We talked about the value of risk management in cybersecurity, how to analyze and assess cyber risks in alignment with the organization's business objectives, and finally, how teams can be better equipped to manage these risks. Thank you for sharing your insights and practical recommendations with our audience. Thanks, Farah, for the opportunity to join, and I really hope the audience members all got something out of it. You've been listening to Decoding Security, a show about how to protect your business from the ever-changing threat of cybercrime. This podcast is brought to you by Microsoft Australia. Microsoft Australia provides a comprehensive suite of end-to-end security solutions unified across people, devices, apps, and data. For more information, visit the website microsoft.com forward slash decoding security. This podcast was made with strategy and production support from Wavelength Creative. To make sure you don't miss an episode of Decoding Security, be sure to subscribe to, 
or follow the show in your podcast app. And while you're there, leave us a five-star review. It really helps others find the show. I'm Mark Anderson, and we'll be back next episode with more Decoding Security.